Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News What Happened To ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a cool, crisp December day in Toronto. People are bustling around malls and stores ahead of the holiday season. But on this day in particular, shoppers are suddenly stopped in their tracks. We are on the upper parking lot and I saw like a crowd of people around something. I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's a monkey. Dressed in what appeared to be a shearling coat, a monkey was seen running from the parking lot into the store. Just the fact that somebody captured it on video, a monkey in Ikea, um, you know, that is just absolutely hilarious. That's the reason it's different. It's just like a peculiar story. Where did he come from? How did he end up at that store? And where is he now? I'm journalist Erica Vela, and this is Global News What Happened to the Ikea Monkey. It really seems like something out of a children's book. A lost monkey in a coat wandering a store. All you need is a man in a yellow hat and you've got a Curious George adventure. But this isn't a work of fiction. The story begins on December 9th. 2012 at Ikea, the Swedish store known for its affordable, easy-to-assemble furniture. Darwin, a Japanese macaque who was approximately six months old, was in his owner's car. But he escaped and ran across the parking lot and into the store. His cute little face and his miniature shearling jacket have taken social media by storm. Not long after Darwin the runaway monkey was found wandering through this North York Ikea, one shopper shot this video that's now gone viral. Well, we didn't think it was real and it was very bizarre. Yeah, and we were just like, this is the weirdest thing. Dinah Lipa is the executive director of Storybook Farm, a primate sanctuary in Sunderland, Ontario. And she remembers the day clearly. This is absolutely ridiculous that there would be a monkey wearing clothes walking around in in Canada in the middle of winter. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And just really, you know, you know, start to think about how did he get to that position? How did he get to be a pet in the first place? It was amazing how it it really took the, the, the media world by storm. I mean, it was one of the, the first, it was when social media was, was just starting in, in, a, in, a, in a big way. And um, so it really is amazing what a viral sensation he was. And for us, it was just making sure that he was well looked after, well cared for. Dinah has been involved in looking after monkeys for nearly 10 years. You know, obviously, a lot of the work that we do as volunteers is we're cleaning them, we're feeding them, but we're also, it's just as important to enrich them in some way. And that enrichment takes many forms. It's all about 
seeing the difference that we can make in these monkeys' lives. She says when Toronto Animal Services took Darwin, there were concerns over what to do with him. They had no idea what to do with a monkey. And since we are the only monkey sanctuary in Ontario, they called the sanctuary and asked if they could take him. And, uh, and of, of course, um, they, they took him. So, so within, within 24 hours, because Toronto Animal Services, they're used to looking after raccoons and squirrels and <laughs> stray dogs, um, but they had no idea um, what to do with a monkey. And particularly macaques, one of the fortunate things that I was allowed to do is just sit with Darwin, uh, not in his enclosure. For us, it was just making sure that he was well looked after, well cared for. I mean, he went from being a pet that was with his owner pretty pretty much 24-7 on the leash, dressed in a diaper, to being in an enclosure um, where he was surrounded by other macaques in, in enclosures around him. So I'm sure, you know, he was scared to death initially. So we did try to spend as much time with him as we, as, as we possibly could. So Darwin was on his way to the sanctuary. The move would trigger an emotional legal battle between Darwin's former owner and the shelter. Kevin Toyne, a lawyer who was working in Toronto at the time, was working late in the evening. But he took a break to have some tea and check the news. I do recall, you know, seeing some pictures and I think some of the very early pictures of uh, of Darwin wearing that uh, cute little coat. I just thought that it was uh, quite strange. He was familiar with Storybook Farm because a few months earlier, he volunteered at the sanctuary. I sent a message to uh, uh, the sanctuary um, somewhat in jest saying, hey, I saw that, uh, you know, a monkey's escaped at an Ikea um, you know, if you guys end up uh, getting involved and anything strange happens, uh, please let me know. And uh, sure enough, within a day or two, I, I got a phone call because uh, strange things did start to happen. Kevin says that just as Darwin was settling in at the sanctuary, a legal battle began. Within, uh, within a, a, a day or two of, um, of Darwin being transferred by Toronto Animal Services uh, to the sanctuary, um, Darwin's former owner, a, um, a real estate and, and uh, corporate lawyer named Yasmin Nakuda, had either threatened legal proceedings or started them already. And uh, the sanctuary was, uh, was quite concerned about uh, how to respond, how to deal with it. Uh, obviously, the media was taking uh, an, in- uh, an increasing uh, interest in the story. So they, they just really needed some help. Uh, so they they reached out to me and said, uh, "Look, you know we're 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 facing some uh, some litigation here. We're under media scrutiny. Uh, please help." Dinah says her main concern at the time was Darwin. There was a lot of negativity that was stated um, towards the sanctuary by Darwin's previous owner and her followers, and so so it was a it was a very difficult time. There were a lot of threats made to the sanctuary. Uh, to the owners at that time, but all we we were concerned about was was making sure that that Darwin was happy. Monkeys are considered exotic animals, and Dinah says they don't make good pets because of the serious risks posed to humans. 
it's understandable how people fall in love with them, but it's so cruel not to allow them to live the life that they should be living in the wild. Macaques in particular are very dangerous to have as pets um, because they can shed the herpes virus and can transmit TB. And in fact, all the monkeys, when they come in to us, we, we test them for, for TB. When Darwin arrived at the sanctuary, he was about six months old. But eventually, he would grow to an average height of 57 centimeters, or 22 inches, and weigh up to 11 kilos, or 25 pounds. With that in mind, Dinah says Darwin could pose a physical threat as he got older as well. The larger monkeys, such as macaques and baboons, they grow up to be large. Um, and are incredibly strong. I mean, Darwin, actually, I actually saw him bend rebar, if you know what rebar is. So they become incredibly strong and, and can consequently become very dangerous. They can bite, they can scratch. So as soon as, soon as they become sexually mature, they, they also tend to become, can become more, more aggressive. And just seeing how the monkeys swing and climb and, and jump from area to area, they certainly don't make good good pets in a household. As the legal battle for Darwin began in 2012, Kevin Toyne offered legal representation to Storybook Farm. I really thought it was just going to be a couple hours of my time. I would, you know, do a good deed before uh, the Christmas holidays that year. Uh, you know, to help support these uh, people who were, um, you know, doing uh, so much good work uh, for the different uh, animals at the sanctuary. And it ended up uh, consuming hundreds of hours of my time. So what was the legal battle all about? Well, Kevin said Darwin's owner, Yasmin Nakuda, was looking for two things. Ultimately, she wanted um, uh, what she said was her monkey returned to her on a permanent basis. But in the meantime, while her claim to ownership was adjudicated by the Superior Court of Ontario, uh, she wanted to have Darwin back on an interim basis. And uh, there's a provision uh, in all of the different uh, provincial courts, uh, or provincial superior courts across uh, the country, uh, when there's a dispute over a piece of property and uh, animals, uh, regardless of how we feel about them, are still property, you can ask the courts to have a disputed piece of property returned to you um, while the uh, dispute over who the true owner is, is adjudicated by the courts. So that was the, the initial matter to deal with, is whether or not uh, the sanctuary would have to uh, you know, return Darwin almost immediately uh, before Ms. Nakuda's claim to, uh, to still own him was adjudicated by the Superior Court. Nakuda spoke with Global News in the weeks following Darwin's capture by Toronto Animal Services. What I was not prepared for was uh, he would unlock his uh, crate and open the car door. We locked it from the outside and we believed he was perfectly safe. That's when we learned more about Darwin's former owner. Videos surfaced of Nakuda walking him around on a leash and brushing their teeth together. He's not a monkey, he's, he's my son. I want him back. She even purchased outfits, hoping to dress him when they were reunited. I'm going to get him, and, and he's going to wear it. 
How are you going to try to get him back? And then he'll have lots of pictures for you guys. How about that? Help me get him. Let's put it on him and let's and and let's have him for Christmas. What she wanted was made clear to the press at the time. Let him choose. Who does he want to be with his monkey mom or he wants to be with his human mom? Give me a kiss. Six months after Darwin's escape, a trial began at a courthouse in Oshawa, Ontario. Yasmin Nakuda was a lawyer who was interested in exotic pets, and she already owned several exotic birds. The court heard that it was a client who had told her about an exotic pet dealer who was known only by his first name, Ayez. He allegedly sold white tigers, bald eagles, monkeys, and kangaroos. Nakuda was aware that it was illegal to keep a monkey in the city of Toronto, where there are bylaws in place that prohibit certain animals, including monkeys. But she was interested in getting a new pet, so she visited Ayez at his home. And at the time, he had a spider monkey, but that didn't appeal to her. Nakuda asked Ayez about a baby Japanese macaque, and he said he would be able to get the monkey in a week. Seven days later... Ayez informed Nakuda that he had two macaques, a young male and a slightly older female. The court heard Nakuda was surprised by the strength of the female and thought she would have trouble controlling her. Instead, she was interested in the small male, but she was unsure if she could manage the monkey. Ayez said she could take the monkey home on a trial basis and return him if she had difficulties. She encountered problems with Darwin almost immediately. In fact, the court heard Darwin didn't like wearing diapers around the house, and during diaper changes, he would thrash and bite Nakuda. During the trial, the court learned Ayez visited Darwin, and he allegedly told Nakuda to, quote, have a very firm hand with the monkey. He grabbed the monkey hard by the throat and hit him at the side of the head, end quote. The court heard that on December 9, 2012, Yasmin Nakuda went shopping and brought Darwin along. She left him in a double-locked crate inside her locked car. While she was in the store, Darwin escaped from the crate and the car and ran away. He entered Ikea and was picked up by Toronto Animal Services. This made Nakuda very upset. Nakuda arrived at the animal shelter to pick Darwin up, But the officer said he couldn't release Darwin because she didn't have proof of vaccination. Nakuda was handed over a document to surrender the animal. The court judgment stated that she had the form for about 10 to 20 minutes. She made a call to a friend and discussed the issue with her husband and eventually signed the form. But during the trial, there were questions around how the signature was obtained. Calling herself his mother, she argues she was tricked into giving him up and that a long separation would harm their bond. Nakuda signed a surrender form, but she claimed she was forced to do so. Dave Behan has been an animal control officer for 28 years. He told the court that Nakuda voluntarily signed the form. Nakuda has already testified she was forced to sign the surrender form. Otherwise, there would be criminal charges. She also claims that this was the only way to see him one last time. 
Behan testified that he did not threaten criminal charges, but did admit to some persuasion, saying, well, maybe something I explained to her made her sign the form. Ms. Nakuda uh, claimed that uh, you know, she didn't really understand what the form meant, uh, but uh, the, 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 the court said, but, you know, Ms. Nakuda, you're a, um, you're a lawyer. Uh, you understand what these things are about. Darwin was tested for diseases, and when it all came back negative, Toronto Animal Service took him to the primate sanctuary where they signed an adoption form. As Kevin mentioned earlier, the central issue in this case was who does Darwin belong to? So at at first, a lot of people thought that uh, it was really a a custody battle, you know, akin to, uh, you know, two parents uh, fighting over a, a child or over their children. But from the, uh, from the law's perspective, uh, animals are still considered to be property. So um, except in really unusual circumstances, what's in the best interest of the animal is completely irrelevant. So for example, who cares the most about the animal, uh, who can treat the animal better, who the animal you know, might go to if there's you know, multiple people calling it or, or, or beckoning to it, none of that really matters. The law treats them in a, a fairly similar way, say, to a, uh, to a car. So if, if, you, if you drop your car off at an auto body shop or if you drop your uh, family dog off at a vet clinic, uh, you still own that car or dog, even though you know, someone else has it in their possession and might be doing things to it. So at the end of the day, you can go pick up your dog or pick up your car and it's still yours. But when it comes to wild animals like monkeys and other types of animals that aren't domesticated, um, if you no longer have that animal in your possession, it's no longer yours. So there's that old, you know, saying or adage that uh, possession is nine tenths of the law. And that's usually a a, a pretty solid uh, principle. But when it comes to wild animals, uh, possession is uh, ten tenths of the law. If you possess the monkey, you own it. Ms. Nakuda argued that uh, on the the facts and the law, she was still uh, Darwin's owner and he should be returned to her. Uh, The sanctuary uh, argued the opposite, that that as soon as Darwin got out of that vehicle, uh, Ms. Nakuda no longer owned him. She never recovered ownership of him. And from the time he was dropped off at the sanctuary, they had been the owners. Kevin said when the sanctuary learned about how Darwin was being treated before the trip to Ikea, they raised those concerns in their defense to the lawsuit brought by Nakuda. Some of the material that, um, that, that came out uh, in the lawsuit uh, suggested that, um, that, that Darwin was not being uh, treated uh, appropriately by, uh, by Ms. Nakuda. And uh, those things certainly raised uh, grave concerns at the sanctuary. So uh, within the first month or so uh, after a lawsuit starts, the person that's been sued has to respond to it. So when the sanctuary responded to the lawsuit, it raised those concerns. Um, that was, I think, in sometime in January of 2013. Uh, but ultimately, the sanctuary withdrew those issues, uh, mistreatment of Darwin, uh, for uh, at the trial, and that was something that took place at uh, at the outset of the trial, uh, because you know courts uh, are a, a limited public resource, and 
as important as uh, the issues uh, relating to, to Darwin were, the court was not prepared to give the parties uh, multiple weeks of uh, a precious uh, public resource. So the, uh, the sanctuary uh, dropped or withdrew those allegations to ensure that the case could be adjudicated uh, within the, uh, the number of days uh, that were available. Now, of course, uh, Ms. Nakuda uh, aggressively uh, denied uh, those allegations, uh, but they were uh, certainly an issue uh, in the early stages uh, of the lawsuit. Like Kevin mentioned, Nakuda and her lawyer fiercely and vehemently denied the allegations of animal abuse. As I said to you in the past, those allegations were frivolous. And now you can see that we were correct about that. Uh, we're going to focus on the real issues at this trial. The trial lasted about four days. And ultimately, uh, Madam Justice uh, Valley of the Ontario Superior Court of Justice uh, released her decision on uh, Friday, September the 13th, uh, something that I don't think was a coincidence, but I, I can't confirm that one way or the other. Uh, and she dismissed uh, Ms. Nakuda's lawsuit and uh, confirmed that uh, the sanctuary was uh, Darwin's legal owner. In her decision, Justice M. E. Valley said, based on the evidence, she determined, quote, the monkey was a wild animal and Miss Nakuda lost ownership when she lost possession. Miss Nakuda understood by signing the Toronto Animal Services form, she transferred ownership to the city of Toronto. She was upset, but not unduly influenced to sign the form. And Toronto Animal Services did not unlawfully detain the monkey. And at that point, all that was left really was, uh, was Ms. Nakuda going to appeal or not? And uh, ultimately, uh, Ms. Nakuda decided not to appeal. And um, as is often the case in, uh, in Ontario proceedings, because she lost, uh, she was required to pay a, a significant amount of uh, money to the sanctuary uh, in, in something that uh, lawyers refer to as costs. And at that point, uh, the proceeding was over. One thing that made the IKEA monkey so iconic was the stylish, light brown shearling coat he was wearing. And you might be wondering, what happened to it? The coat, for uh, reasons that uh, I think uh, should be obvious, so I won't get into it, had quickly gone from uh, looking, you know, cute on the monkey in the photos to being rather filthy and covered in monkey feces. But it was something that, that my client uh, still had uh, in its possession. And uh, ultimately, uh, there was an agreement that was reached to return the coat uh, to Miss Nakuda because clearly it, it was her coat. So in the... Uh, it, in, in uh, one of the uh, far reaches of the uh, public parking lots near the Oshawa Courthouse, uh, and I don't recall if this was in either December of 2012 or January 2013, uh, there was a uh, handoff of the um, of the coat. Um, one of the um, one of the volunteers at the sanctuary had put it into a number of uh, black garbage bags, I, I guess, to try to. Um, you know, keep uh, any uh, sort of um, any disease uh, or filth uh, from uh, from touching anyone else. I was then given the uh, the, the bag. 
the bag was then provided, uh, I think, to one of uh, the, the, the younger lawyers um, involved uh, representing Ms. Nakuda. And uh, I recall uh, driving away from the parking lot shortly thereafter, uh, certainly hoping that I hadn't uh, been infected with a potentially fatal disease. Uh, and Ms. Nakuda had uh, taken the coat out of the bag and, and was, was, was folding it up. I, I think that I, either that there was a media scrum outside of the courthouse that had just ended, or perhaps it was just some of her uh, supporters and family members and friends. But uh, she was uh, clearly uh, quite happy to have uh, that coat back because it, it certainly was important to her and had some meaning to her. But uh, it was the the first and only time I've been involved in a uh, semi-secret uh, handoff of a, a feces-covered uh, coat as part of one of my cases. Like that moment, Kevin says this is a case he won't soon forget. Well, it certainly was a um, extremely, extremely interesting case. There are very few lawyers that have an opportunity to to take on a civil case a, that involves a wild animal, uh, or B, that generates so much uh, media or social media interest. Dinah Lipa of Storybook Farm Sanctuary says she was overcome by how much attention the story got. Yeah, I think, I think basically the main thing was that I was shocked at, at, the, at the level of interest. And... Um, that you know this this tiny little being that who represents thousands of exotic animals that that are out there that that need to be protected that this particular one garnered so much interest in recent years exotic animals and the exotic animal trade have made headlines just think of the phenomenon that is the netflix show tiger king Michelle Hammers is the wildlife campaign manager at World Animal Protection, and she remembers the story of the IKEA monkey back in 2012. And my first reaction is like, how how does something like that happen still in a country like Canada? Like, you don't expect that people are still keeping these exotic animals that are dangerous. Um, um, it, it was a bit of a surprise when when I heard it. I felt really bad for the monkey, to be honest. Um, it, it was obviously that he was still very young at that time. I believe it was only six months. Um, so which meant that he was taken away from his parents at a very young age. And monkeys being highly social animals, learning a lot of behaviors from um, uh, their parents, from playing with, with other monkeys um, and learning to become a monkey. And that was taken away from him. So I, I overall, I felt quite bad. And I could only imagine how stressful it would have been for him to be in that situation. Like I mentioned earlier, exotic animals include monkeys, big cats, and other animals, but they include less obvious ones, too. Certain birds and reptiles could be part of the illegal trade. Originally, exotic animals were really a way to showcase like how wealthy you were because you were able to go to these other countries and they were collected to be shown off at home. So the first zoos and such were actually just collections of people that would go around the world to, to get animals and to, to show off. So people always collected animals to show off their wealth. And I think that hasn't changed very much. I think people keeping these animals often see them because they're exotic and dangerous and cool and different. The wild animals are different than domesticated animals. They haven't co-evolved with us. 
they have wild behaviors, um, so they 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 need to be able to engage. For example, a lot of birds, like parrots, that are being kept that can't fly. Like these animals are evolved to do certain things, and captivity takes that away from them. That's highly stressful and causes a lot of suffering. And Michelle said the legal and illegal trade are oftentimes intertwined. Yeah, the illegal and legal trade are, are a big concern. I think the illegal trade is being looked at. Um, a lot of organizations are working on it um, and, and people are, are focusing on the illegal trade. But I think the real issue we need to take into consideration is the legal trade because there's a huge volume of animals that's being traded. Um, uh, more, I believe like a quarter of terrestrial species that are currently in the trade uh, that's supposedly to be legal, but the effects of the trade is very detrimental to biodiversity, to the welfare of these animals. And uh, above all, that also the, the illegal trade is, is using the illegal trade to, to do their practices. So the, the legal trade and the illegal trade are so closely intertwined that it's, that's almost sometimes impossible to know an animal is imported legally or illegally. So how do you tell the difference between a legal and illegal animal? Dogs and cats have been in captivity for thousands, tens of thousands of years, and they bred on generation, generation in order to like cohabit with people, right? So we bred them for certain distinctions, like they had to be nice, they had to look in a certain way, whatever. This hasn't happened for reptiles and amphibians and many of the other ones. Uh, tigers, for example, tigers have been in captivity since, we, you know, people started going on ships and, ex- and explored the world. It doesn't mean that they, nobody will ever claim that a tiger is domesticated. So it's really dogs, cats, rats, mice, some hamsters, perhaps, um, that will fit that. And anything that's more than that, that's exotic, and our, the pet industry is now rebranding exotic animals as like specialty pets. But it's the same thing. Like any reptile amphibian, 99% of the birds, we have to admit they're, they're still wild and they, they shouldn't be in, in captivity. The Convention of International Trade in Endangered Species is meant to help ensure trade is not harmful for the survival of species. And it helps regulate trade between 184 countries who are part of this agreement. But Michelle said it doesn't really fix the problem. But actually a small percentage of animals, about only 8% of all terrestrial animals are protected um, which means that it doesn't necessarily mean you can keep these animals depending on how strict you're regulated, but it means that you need certain certification or permits in order to keep these animals and trade them. Um, anything that, uh, uh, when we look then at, at, at the locally, uh, for example, in BC, they have a Controlled Alien Species Act, which consists of almost 1,200 animals, I believe. And the animals on that list are prohibited to be kept, which which does mean that everything that's not on that list would be legal. Um, And that's something actually an issue for us. We we would like to see the system to be flipped around and we would like that regulations focus on animals that are legally can be kept. So animals that that demonstrably um, are safe, um, where we can take care of their health and their well-being and that those animals are regulated and, and are put on a list and show to people like, hey, we can keep this. And everything else is prohibited because we don't know enough about it. It's a precautionary way to regulate these uh, keeping of these animals. She says that there isn't accurate data on the illegal exotic animal trade. Whatever you confiscate, you don't know how much it is from the actual what's actually happening. Uh, we do know legally that 
within the past seven years, six years, about 2 million animals, wild animals were shipped into Canada. Um, and the, the illegal trade will be similar, if not more in that. And I mean, even the data for the legal trade is very, um, it, it, it's not well kept and it's not well tracked and monitored. So it's, it's even for the legal trade, we don't actually know what's coming in. Um, I can give you an example. We've seen um, uh, records that say a shipment of 20,000 reptiles, but it doesn't say what kind of reptiles are they, you know, we, we don't know. Are they captive bred? Are they, are they being, uh, were they plucked from the wild? Like all that data is missing and we're really pressing uh, the federal government to, to come up with a better system to start collecting these data so we can take good measures and, and protect animals and protect biodiversity. Illegally traded monkeys and lemurs from different parts of the country can end up at the Storybook Farm Sanctuary. Dinah shared what she has seen and a warning some of what she says is very graphic. Monkeys get into the exotic animal trade as babies because that's what everybody wants. They're cute, they're adorable. You can hold them, you can hug them, you can put diapers on them. Um, but they get onto, into the exotic animal trade in one of two ways. They're either bred in captivity um, and then they're taken away from their mothers pretty much the minute they're born. The theory being that then they will more readily bond with the human that they are going to be sold to. That is incredibly cruel because primates, non-human primates like us, um, need to be with their mothers for the first few years of their lives to learn how to exist, to learn how to um, learn how to be a monkey. And we have had instances where we've been brought, um, there was one instance where we got a marmoset who was very young, who had self-mutilated to the point where he had eaten through the thigh muscle on both legs, right through to the bone because of stress, because he was too young to be taken from his mother. He was taken to a vet by the owner and they said that there was nothing they could do for him he came to us and he, he died that night. It was very, 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 very sad. So that happens when they're bred in captivity. When they're poached in the wild, for the exotic animal trade, it's even worse because poachers will go out and in order to get the baby or the babies, they will have to kill the entire troop of monkeys, the entire family because they will protect the baby to the death. So in order to get to the baby, they have to kill all the other monkeys. And what's even worse is then because they have to be transported to North America or wherever, or Asia, in transportation, a lot of them die because they're not well cared for. So we have another example, Rudy, our, our squirrel monkey, um, he was found in a storage container full of exotic animals. And he was close to death when he arrived. Um, squirrel, he had denuded his tail. He had eaten all the hair on his tail. Um, he had liver failure. He was close to death. Um, he apparently was not given appropriate diet. Uh, squirrel monkeys have beautifully colored, yellow, yellow colored hands and feet. He had sort of very little color. So, in transportation and being kept before he was put out to for sale, 
um, he, he was close to death. It's frustrating. It's frustrating knowing that, um, you know, thinking about our monkeys, you know, what, what they have gone through before. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard to fathom that, I think, as I, as I mentioned, that the exotic animal trade is third only to drugs and arms. So it's a huge problem. I reached out to Environment and Climate Change Canada, which oversees and enforces the wild animal and plant protection and regulation of International Interprovincial Trade Act. Its purpose is to protect animals and plants by regulating their interprovincial and international trade. ECCC sent me a statement that says, quote, wildlife enforcement officers conduct inspections to verify compliance with legislation, undertake investigations when noncompliance is suspected, and enforce applicable legislation throughout Canada in collaboration with other provincial, territorial, and federal government departments, as well as international agencies. If noncompliance is found, then wildlife officers have a number of measures that they can take, from direction to ticketing to prosecution. The ECCC's annual report revealed that in 2020, there were 1,359 inspections, a decrease of 59% compared with the year before because of travel restrictions, border crossings, and adjustments to field operations by enforcement officers because of COVID-19. But according to their annual report, those inspections uncovered 183 violations. One case involved a monocled cobra and led to fines of over $5,000. So what happens to animals that are seized in these investigations? A spokesperson with ECCC says the animals become the property of the Crown, and they are, quote, responsible for ensuring the disposal of such property in accordance with applicable legislation, federal, and departmental guidelines. Essentially, there are three options. The first and preferred option is the donation to an accredited animal facility or organization, like the Storybook Farm Sanctuary. The second option is to find an alternative appropriate receiver, such as a private collector who has previously owned or has experience in fostering and caring for the animals. The third and least preferred option is euthanasia and will only be used as a last resort. While the exotic animal trade is illegal, it's still something Dinah fields questions about regularly. I do get a call a month asking, where, do, where can I get a monkey as a pet? People need to understand that having any wild animal as a pet is wrong. And for primates, because they are so much like us, that, that, that is, I think, the part of the problem. Because they are so much like us, that's why they are adored so much. But it's because they are so much like us that they should be given the freedoms that, that we have and to be allowed to live their lives where they're supposed to, not in somebody's house, not on a leash, not wearing a diaper. It's been nearly 10 years since Darwin captured the world's attention. And you might be wondering, 
what happened to Yasmin Nakuda, Darwin's former owner. She's still a practicing lawyer, and I reached out to her to see if she wanted to participate in this podcast, but she turned down my request for an interview. She did, however, send me an email. And since you've heard a lot of my voice today, I'm going to get a little help from our team. This subject has caused me and my family a lot of pain, and I do not want to reopen old wounds. I have already been accused of trying to be in the limelight and being selfish, eccentric person, full of myself. I've been targeted by PETA, animal rights activists, and was even named as one of the villains of 2013. My genuine love for Darwin was never eyed well. Speaking to the media never worked out for me and probably never will. I followed up with her and she sent me another email. Here's some of what she had to say. We relocated on a 15-acre farm and we did all we could to prove that we were the best option for Darwin. Yet, haters prefer to see him caged behind bars in a so-called sanctuary when he never experienced a life behind bars when he was with us. How could anyone ever claim that the life he had with us was not a far better life than the sanctuary could ever offer him? If the shearling coat and the diaper were an issue, we also have super-sized cages on the property that outmatch the cage he is presently housed in, where he could run unclothed. The fun part was he liked to be dressed. The difference is he could have gotten in and left the enclosure whenever he wanted if he was with us. Having said all that, do I think that any animal, wild or domestic, belong in any type of cage or enclosure? No. Darwin came into my life by coincidence. I would not go out today and take in another non-human primate. These animals need to live freely, and if I had him today, I would probably work on getting him back into the wild. Not all animals can be turned back into the wild, but somehow I can see him coping well. I'm sure he'll come acknowledge me if I visited his forest. Based on Nakuda's emails, it appears that she's still very upset about what happened and has a lot of anger towards the sanctuary. But Dinah says in the 10 years Darwin has been at Storybook Farm, he's grown into a thriving, full-grown Japanese macaque. We had always planned for him to be part of a family because that's ideal. They they are social beings. They like being groomed. They like grooming. They like interacting. They like playing. And so one thing that we have in the design of the enclosures is that um, the bottom half is solid so they can have privacy and the top half is caged so they can interact with each other, but without being able to harm each other. So we thought, that they would make a good family, and and they do. So they actually have three enclosures, so they each have their own enclosure if they want to, but they have free roaming access between each of the enclosures, um, and then they have three different outdoor areas that, that, they, that they share. And so, you know, they do the things that monkeys do. They, they jump and fight and climb and groom and... and fight over food and <laughs> I asked her does she believe Darwin is happy in his home with his new family so it used to be in in you know scientifically it was impossible to quantify happiness 
um, but people are sort of becoming, even scientists are becoming more open to the fact that animals can express happiness. And so because they, they're, they're not trying to hurt each other, uh, they are coexisting, they are doing things you know, that, that show respect and that show um, like for one another, mutual grooming. So Darwin is in a, in a place now that shows that he's able to behave as a monkey, he is being treated as a monkey, and I assume that as a result of that, he is happy. Thank you for joining me this week. Global News What Happened To is written and produced by me, Eric Avella, with producer Dila Velezquez. Our audio producer is Rob Johnson. Thanks to Emily Denseeth and Hannah Clark, who helped with Chasing. And also a special thanks goes to Drew Hasselbeck, supervising national online journalist for Global News. Let us know what you thought of this episode, and please share it with a friend. It will help us to grow the show and bring you more incredible stories. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also reach out to me personally. We are always looking for stories, so if there's a new story you want us to revisit, you can reach me on Twitter at Erica Bella or email me at erica.bella at globalnews.ca. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.